Hi there. You are listening to You Need to Stop Doing That, a podcast from OPX and MatchPace. I'm your host, Elizabeth Knox. We are all facing a million decisions a day, big ones and little ones. It can be overwhelming, and our quick solution is often to add more to our lives. More technology hacks, more responsibilities, more relationships. In reality, if we want to be more successful and to have a greater impact and to maintain the quality relationships we have, we need to make choices to prune away some things from our lives. Only then can our priorities have the place that they deserve. In this podcast, we explore how to stop doing something in a world where we expect ourselves and others to keep saying yes to the next thing. Hey, everyone. On the podcast today, I have a conversation with Gabrielle Boucher. Gabrielle is the founder of The Millennial Solution, which is a strategy firm that helps organizations learn how to attract, engage, and retain millennials. So she and I talk about how people from each generation say no and how that influences how the other generations view them. I saw her at the Work Better Day live event back in the fall, and hearing her talk there gave me some fun perspective on how to engage with different generations. So I hope that you learn from her as well. Here we go. Hey, Gabrielle. Thanks so much for being here. Um, Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, I'm Gabrielle Boucher. I'm the founder and president of an international consulting firm called The Millennial Solution, and we help generations work better together. Awesome. Um, So what prompted you, what made you think that generations needed to work better together? Uh, Other than every interaction um, (laughs) I've ever had. Uh, Yeah, I I remember going to conferences and events when I was a young professional and sitting in the back and hearing these um, leaders complain about millennials. And they were always talking about how annoying or frustrating or unloyal um, this this generation was. And um, that wasn't my experience. I saw millennials and I'd been studying millennials for quite some time. I wrote my first book about millennials when I was 17 And I remember just saying, well, that's not true. Uh, My generation is incredibly passionate. We're really justice oriented. We really are committed, uh, but you just need to know how to engage with us. So uh, it went from that moment of me seeing other people who weren't millennials talking about millennials. Um, It took a turn and and caused me to write my second book called Five Millennial Myths, um, the handbook for managing and motivating millennials. And after I wrote that book, I started speaking around the world, started the consulting firm, and it's just been a crazy ride ever since. That's awesome. Um, And that's very impressive that you wrote your first book when you were 17. Um, That's really cool. So you mentioned people knowing how to engage with millennials. Like, what might be a way that people are missing? This is a huge question, but um, what might be a way that people are missing how to engage with millennials? I think a big problem, and this is very true with every generation, is that uh, people project their own experience on the other generations. So if you're, you know, a baby boomer or Gen X, you're, you're most likely going to say, well, you know, it took me 10 years to get this position, or, you know, it took me, you know, two, two tries to, to get a raise or a promotion. And so we as humans oftentimes project our experience because we want to connect with people, but that's oftentimes really dangerous. And uh, millennials can do it to other generations as well. We can project our own experience with technology or our own expectation that things move so quickly. And, and when you project that 
expectation on someone else, I think you really limit your ability to connect with them as a person and, and you really lose that empathy, which I think is a really important factor to work with anyone, no matter their age. Mm-hmm. So then how do you stop projecting your experience onto somebody else? So much of it really comes down to walking into every situation with a level of curiosity about who the other person is and really looking at what their um, what their why is. That's something that's been really fascinating for me. I've been in this space for over 12 years now, uh, which makes me feel real old. Um, <laughs> but as, as I've studied uh, generational motivation and generational leadership styles, I've been amazed at how everything really comes down to the core of significance and that everyone, whether they're 22 or 62, really wants to feel significant. And I think people don't realize that in the workplace. And so we take folks for granted or pass them over for um, for raises or promotions. And that's really where a lot of bitterness comes in. So when you realize that everyone, whether it's the, you know, bitter coworker down the hall or, you know, your your boss who snaps um, at you or, you know, your, you know, cute little grandma who you love so dearly, everyone wants to know that they matter and that their work matters. And so when you really seek to find opportunities to speak into that and to recognize folks, I think a lot of that conflict uh, resolves itself. Mm. I'm just reminded of a situation that I'm encountering on occasion. And um, like, how much am I letting the other person know that they matter? Or sometimes am I making sure that they know that I matter? <laughs> you know, and so it's how are you walking in and how do how does age play a factor in that? So anyway, yeah, I'm, you're already speaking to me personally and hopefully will help me, <laughs> help me with intergenerational interactions. So sure. this podcast is about how people make decisions and about specifically kind of what they tend to add on or what they tend to say no to, you know, knowing that everyone's an individual, are there some generation generalizations about generations and how different generations make decisions? Absolutely. I think every person, um, as well as every generation, learns how to make decisions from their parents. And sometimes you embrace the same decision-making techniques that your parents um, gave you, and then sometimes you reject that. So baby boomers are very, very process-oriented. They're going to make um, decisions based off of process, and typically it's going to be uh, a decision that's going to kind of make sense within the broader perspective of their life. Part of that is generational. Part of that is also to just, you know, age and experience. After a while, you realize that, you know, every decision has a, an equal or opposite reaction. And so you're wanting to make that decision in context. Generation X is very analytical. So Gen X is also known as the latchkey generation. So they were the, the kids who found out how to, you know, come home from school, apply for college, you know, make the bagel bites, figure out life. So because of that, they're really independent and internal processors, so they don't need a lot of outside validation for their decision um, because when they make a decision, it's pretty um, pretty well thought out and pretty well decided. Millennials are extremely collaborative, so they're a generation that grew up on soccer teams and speech and debate teams, and because of that, uh, millennials really lead from the middle. So that means that we really uh, seek collaboration and input from our peers and from our friends. And so that means we're making decisions really in concert with other people. So if you're of another generation and you look at, you know, how millennials make decisions versus Generation X, it's really quite opposite. Whereas one generation may make a decision completely on their own, 
and the younger generation may constantly want input. If you don't understand that each generation has their own decision-making style, you can think that that other group is weak or insecure or, you know, not ready for leadership. If you don't really understand that there's a preference that every generation comes with, and it's not necessarily better or worse, it's just different. Yeah. So it's kind of the, like, my way is the right way. And so if you're not doing it my way, you're wrong, as opposed to it's just you grew up in a different environment and this was the right way to do it in your environment. When I saw you speak, you said, if you're a Gen Xer and you want it done right, you'll do it yourself. And if you're a millennial and you want it done right, you'll do it together. That really stuck with me because my default probably is do it myself. Realizing how do I need to do it together with the millennials in my life. I'm on the cusp, but I think I lean (laughs) towards Gen X and my behavior. Sure. So yeah, figuring out, like, it's just a different way to make decisions. How can I engage in that style of decision making instead of doing it my, just the way that I'm used to, but have to step into that discomfort. Are there things that you see each generation willing to say no to? I think that baby boomers really um, were one of the first generations of young Americans who really saw themselves as, you know, a, a youthful generation. They're also oftentimes uh, said growing up, don't trust anybody over the age of 30. So I think that um, baby boomers were really one of the first generations that said no to authority that weren't themselves. So because of that, I really see baby boomers trusting one another as the experts more than kind of outside counsel, so to speak, of other generations. So they really seek to um, kind of find validation from um, from others within their cohort because they really do see age and experience tied to expertise. Generation X, because they were raised, again, as that latchkey generation, I really see them saying no to this, um, you know, you have to have it all, and um, this career ladder that we saw a lot of baby boomers falling prey to. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we are seeing a lot of Gen X families who, um, you know, maybe the dad stays at home, or, you know, maybe there's more of a, a flexible relationship where they find different ways for them to be able to, you know, be a family and work at the same time. They're really being creative to preserve that family unit mm-hmm. because many in Generation X came from broken homes where their parents weren't together and they remember kind of what that, that seesawing really did to the family. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I'm seeing that with a lot of millennials as well. On the family front, on the work front, millennials are really saying no to this Um, you know, career ladder that you have to, you know, stay on this one certain path and, um, and that your fate is almost decided for you. We're seeing much more creativity where millennials are kind of designing their own career, whether it's, you know, switching jobs every two years or, you know, defining a niche within an organization or establishing an expertise that is, you know, new and unique to them. We're definitely seeing um, that this younger generation is much more likely to find alternative paths of making money, whether it's the gig economy or, um, you know, creating their own company, that they're kind of saying no to the traditional um, industries and career pathways that other generations kind of expected as the norm. Mm-hmm. So two follow-on questions to that. Um, so you could look at something like that, like saying no to the traditional traditional career path, you could see it as saying yes to, you know what I mean? Like this, like crafting your own life or lifestyle design or whatever. Um, you could see it as saying yes, which another generation might interpret as 
I don't know, what might they interpret it as? Um, (laughs) Flightiness, like you said, or irresponsibility or something. So how do you deal with, you know, internally making that decision and saying, like, I'm going to decline whatever the security is, whether there's actually even... I think there's still residual security in a lot of organizations. Um, So how do you deal with the loss of that security? And then how do you deal with other people's opinions that you're not actually making a choice and saying no to something intentionally, but you're, it's an indicator of irresponsibility as opposed to a conscious choice. I think so much of that comes back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago about just putting your own expectations on someone else. Mm. And I think when you realize that to, you know, security is a priority for some, but not for others. And again, that's not even a, a generational piece. I mean, I see a lot of baby boomers who, you know, refuse to settle down and want to move in all the, you know, live in all these countries and kind of live their best life. And, you know, some of them are acting more like 20 somethings and even some 20 somethings are, you know, who have investment accounts and two houses, <laughs> et cetera. So, you know, again, you can't just assume because someone's of one generation that they're going to act a, a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think so much of it really does come down to um, having a respect for other people and realizing that just because it's not a priority for you doesn't mean it's not a priority for them mm-hmm. and extending to them the same kind of respect that you would want, even if what they think is important is totally different than what you think is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing is priorities. And so having the confidence to know your own priorities and then having the confidence to respect other people's priorities and then having good conflict resolution sounds a little harsh, but like having good, I don't know, communication skills or something to be able to reconcile, you know, that someone else's priorities aren't your priorities. And how do you get that? How do you, how do you get to the best? So what would you say to, you know, late, an early Gen X boss who has millennial employee and, you know, how does a Gen X boss prepare for knowing that, like, how do you not cast those? So how do you not cast your own assumptions onto them? But then how do you not cast like generalized millennials? Like, well, they're only going to be here for a year or two. So how can sure. a company kind of invest in people, but know that they may not stay for a long time or something, whether that's a generational thing or not? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is from John Maxwell on on training, and he says, you know, people are concerned that they're going to, and this is very loose interpretation of what he said, but, um, you know, people are going to complain about, you know, whether or not they should invest money in training for their employees if they leave. But the real question is, what if you don't invest in training and they stay? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the real challenge that employers of all sizes, whether you have 12 employees or Mm 12,000, because training is expensive, but turnover is even more expensive. Mm -hmm. So when you realize that every single person does want significance, finding ways for that person to find significance at work cuts your chances of losing that employee to your competitor across the street or a completely different industry because that person is is not only feeling needed but knows that their brilliance matters uh, at work. And so it's really making sure that every person on your team not only feels validated but, but has constant and daily reminders that their participation is important. And I think so much of that comes back to how employment has changed Employment used to be very transactional. 
I'm an employer. I pay my employee and, you know, I give them benefits and a couple of weeks off of vacation. And that's our relationship. They do work for me. And it's, it's this exchange. Um, we've moved from that transaction to something much more transformational where employees really want to feel needed. They want to feel that their work matters. They want to find purpose at work and um, they want to make their, their place of work and also to the customers' lives better. So because of that, I think employers have a heightened responsibility to be able to foster those types of environments where, you know, employers who, and we work with industries like, you know, healthcare and law, and, you know, I work a lot with the military, where, you know, it used to be, you know, you're, you should be thankful you have a job, right? This, this old school way of like, don't complain. Uh, no one, number one, no one asked you your opinion. <laughs> and number two, you know, the only feedback you need is that you're employed. You know, it was a very different mindset. But now people want to know, okay, great, you know, how am I best optimized inside of my position so that way I can give the most and be the most engaged? We just have so many more metrics now. And I think a lot of employers who are smart are realizing that they need to bring more intentionality to retention rather than just assuming that they need to pay people more or, you know, offer more, you know, free beer at work. It takes a lot more than that to keep them around. So I work out of a co-working space that has free beer. I never drink the free beer, but knowing that it's there is actually, I, I find that somewhat comforting. <laughs> um, <I'm> usually, <laughs> just in case. Just in case. I'm usually leaving at 2.30 to go get children. So um, yeah, doing that with a buzz is not a great idea. So I think what I am hearing is, so as an employer, stop operating out of fear. So stop operating out of fear that you're going to lose somebody. Stop operating out of fear that this is going to be such a big investment and you're not going to get a return on investment. And instead, you know, and I think that comes maybe a little bit from the self-sufficient thing. It's like, I, I have to control all of this for it to turn out well. So if I relinquish any of that control and it doesn't turn out, it's all my fault. As sure. opposed to looking at it from a perspective of an investment in people. Like I need to stop operating out of fear and I need to start connecting with individuals. That's exactly right. And and I think a lot of that does come from that control aspect where it used to be that a boss would come to the office um, in a traditional sense or the factory floor. Um, and if people weren't physically there, they weren't working, right? It was that butts and seats mentality. But that's not work anymore. People work from coffee shops and from, you know, from their car and from their home and, you know, from co-working spaces. And they can still have the same level of productivity uh, so I think that relinquishing of control and trusting your employees to get the work done, how they see fit is such a beautiful evolution of where work has come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. Um, and it's, I mean, any ideas where it's going in the future? <laughs> what What's the next evolution? I think it's going to be extremely metric driven. And as someone who spends a lot of our time, we do, we develop training for companies. We have online training. We have a whole online university of how to manage the generations that are called Millennial Management Institute. But as someone who has been studying how generations learn and apply change within organization, lasting change, not just kind of a, that kind of one and done um, movement, I think we're going to see more metrics attached to uh, employee learning capabilities as well as input. Whereas, you know, now we know, you know, feedback is multidimensional, that it's 
not just 360, but we need to be able to measure, you know, everything from someone's fulfillment to engagement to motivation to, um, you know, connection to the purpose. There's so many aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as technology um, is going to improve and become more personalized, like we measure how many steps we take, but we don't know how many emails that we, we, you know, that we send or how many minutes on social media we're, you know, wasting versus <laughs> productivity time, right? Or how many, you know, minutes of the day we're in a meeting versus, you know, actually spending time like thoughtfully strategizing and creating. So I think we're going to see more um, wearable technology, some more metrics assigned to productivity mm-hmm. um, that I think is going to give leaders a better handle on how they can lead people better mm-hmm. because in the past we've had a lot of great um a lot of great tools like you know strength finders and you know and gallup's done you know so much and so many groups have done a lot like whether it's disc you know I've, I've taken all of them and they're helpful but it's it's more um you know introspective than practical for a lot of these tools mm-hmm. and so i think the more that we use um, technology to be able to, you know, implement those strategies, I think that the better off everyone's going to be. Mm-hmm. And measuring to the right things, like you're talking about, like it's not measuring the number of hours somebody spends, it's what are you doing with those hours? And are those hours driving to the right outcome? Um, you know, and those are a lot harder to measure. Those are a lot more complicated to measure um, than just whether or not someone's in their seat for, you know, eight hours or 10 hours if you want to extra sure. credit. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sleep um, at your desk. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a badge of honor, right, is to, to overdo it. Cool. Well, I have one last question that I'm asking everyone. Um, so what is something that you personally need to stop doing and how are you working on that? Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? Um, I am constantly in a state of change. And I think being married to someone who's also that mm-hmm. way um, is really beneficial However, very frustrating because you're like, I'm working on it, right? <laughs> My husband and I are always giving each other feedback. Like what we act, we actually ask each other this at least once a week. What should I stop doing? Mm. And, um, and I think a big thing that I'm not, I'm working on not doing is um, not having short conversations with people, with lots of people, but having having intentional conversations with one person a day mm-hmm. where I used to have a lot of just, you know, short conversations, touching base with people. Um, and now I'm FaceTiming people more and this is clients too. This isn't just friends and just really being present because mm-hmm. I think in a very, um, you know, I'm very metrics driven. I'm a researcher by trade. I love numbers. So I feel really good when I get to the end of my day and I'm like, yes, I called six people and I sent, you know, 28 emails and I did all of these things. But um, I think really focusing on going deeper rather than wider with relationships mm-hmm. um, in both the personal and the professional is something that um, I'm resetting a lot of my um, kind of pleasure and pride around to really go deep rather than go wide. Wow, that is that is a very good goal. Um, very good thing to be working on. I guess it's, that's impressive. Thanks for being willing to share that with us. Yeah, it's not perfect. We're we're working we're working on it, my friend. But it's um it's it's certainly I think a worthy goal for all of us. Well, and I feel like that's something, you know, the longer, you know, you're around. Like I love to learn from people who've gone before because I don't have time to learn it all myself, right? So, learn from sure. people who've gone before, and I um I feel like that's something that I, you know, 
like the only thing constant is change or if you're not changing it's not that you have to have this bent towards constant change but just realizing that that's what life is it's this work in progress and so being open to okay what's the next work that I get to work on so that you're you and your husband are open to kind of that continual work as you know exhausting as it can feel sometimes that you're working on something kind of profound like to go deeper in your relationships yeah it's it's certainly fun and keeps us all accountable that's for sure Definitely. well thanks so much for spending time with us today i really appreciate it um and we'll look forward to seeing what is next for the millennial solution yeah so so am i well thanks so much for having me on thanks take care all right everyone that is the end of my conversation with gabrielle And what stood out most to me was how having your own clear priorities can help you respect someone else's priorities. And then I really liked what she said about thinking about how the generations, making sure that the generations that you interact with know that their brilliance matters. And so I am going to take away from this an assignment to communicate that to the other generations in my life. So I hope that you are able to take something away from this as well. And if there's anything that you need to stop doing, but you're having trouble with, drop me a line and we can do a podcast episode on it. Take care.